Hello and welcome to Movement, the weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, we interview a leader from within our movement and then ask them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back to Movement. It is great to have the opportunity to be heading out into our churches and connecting with some of our pastors and hearing some of their stories. And so today I'm sitting down with Brandon Chaplin. Brandon is the senior pastor at Blackwood Hills, where he's been a pastor for just on 30 years. Getting old there, Brandon. And uh, he's also been the chaplain at Port Power for over 20 years since they started. Uh, Brandon, what can I tell you about him? Brandon loves a good uh, swim. He's a swimmer, he loves cycling, and he loves getting in his car on his holidays and driving as far as he can across the country. So looking forward to an interesting chat. Welcome, Brandon. Well, it's great to be with you, Melinda. It's uh, nice to be connecting and talking in this way. You've been getting into podcasts recently, haven't you? Yes, yes, I I do on occasion listen to this podcast, and yes, I've now got a phone that's uh, modern and current <laughs> and a data plan where... Um, so I've been yeah, listening to all kinds of things, actually. So it's a, a brand new world for me. Excellent. Well, I'm going to start you off with a question we tend to ask everyone on this podcast, which is tell us a little bit about the experiences and the passions that have shaped the person that you are and brought you to where you are today. Yeah, well, I'm one of these um, people whose passion for ministry and mission came really closely connected to my conversion. Mm-hmm. So. Um, not being uh, going to church regularly as a young person, wasn't a church attender, basically had a, a radical shirt front using footy um, terms conversion just before my 19th birthday. And I reckon it was within weeks that I felt some kind of call that what had happened in my life and my understanding of the gospel and what God was doing in my life that I wanted devoted my whole life to this from the beginning. So um, it all happened really quickly. I I had this sense where I met Jesus, but I didn't know anything of him. So I had this uh, little red Gideon's testament uh, in the bottom of my wardrobe that I'd been given in year eight. And after my conversion, I dug it out and started um, getting to know this Jesus that I met. I knew pretty much nothing about him. So um, that's what I started doing. I All I used to read was the sports pages. <laughs> I started reading the, the New Testament, getting to know Jesus, and and pumped myself along to the church that I'm now the senior pastor in. So I've only ever known one church community in my whole life. That's a pretty unique story, isn't it? So you rocked up there basically, what, a week after yeah, becoming a Christian? Yeah, yeah, eight days later. Yeah. And um, just was... Um, absorbed every word of what was happening in church and the sermon, started reading, and uh, it was three years after that conversion that I headed off to uh, Burley College, which, of course, was the Baptist Theological College. Uh, that was back in 1989. Wow. As I said, you were, you were young then, but uh, it's a little while ago now. Yeah, I was 22 years old, and I remember turning up to orientation camp and meeting someone who said they were going to do the full five years, and I. <laughs> they asked me, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to just come for one." And uh, he didn't last five; I did. So, so what was it about Jesus that you know that drew you in, that that fired you up? Yeah, well, in a sense, it's hard to pinpoint. I 
I was invited by, by my cousin to, uh, it was, you know, the old table charismatic convention, which is, and uh, I heard a preacher, it was, it's now the showbag pavilion when there was a royal show. And um, I basically just got impacted by the, the message of the gospel on that particular day. And um, so then, as I said, I just started reading the New Testament. So there was everything about him that fascinated me. It was just such a deep, profound spiritual conviction that I needed to get to know this person that I had met. And from then on, there was that whole discovery, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and, and all that came with that. And then listening to the teaching of scripture in church. And it was just all consuming for me. And, um, and at the time I was working in Australia post and it, it, the word got out that Brandon had joined the God Squad. That was the name of the Christians in my workplace. And and being a very interactive workplace, you didn't need to think much in, in the male exchange. It was a very relational place. I had to learn to defend my faith really quickly. So I probably loved all that as well. I loved being in that uh, situation of... Um, discussing what had happened in my life, learning about my faith and and understanding the transformation it made in my own life and starting to meet other Christians and seeing what it meant to them. So all of those were factors in me wanting to give my life to this message and this person. Yeah, fantastic. So then you turn up to the church and you... Yet, you know, you want to follow Jesus and his call in your life. What is it about the church that's kept you in pastoral ministry all these years? Well, I think, you know, I was very fortunate to roll up uh, to Blackwood Hills, which was Bellevue Heights in those days, and meet a guy like Sam Thompson, who was the youth pastor or yeah. the youth leader at the time. And, and still is the youth pastor. And still is, yeah. <laughs> and so there were other young people. So there were people my age with similar passions and interests and enthusiasms for faith and so I was really fortunate to be in a great vibrant vital community and it was doing things and people were normal and fun and were in, into similar things than me uh, but they were followers of Jesus so you know from the very beginning I loved being in that community so um, it was exciting. It was thrilling. All of a sudden, you had peers and friends and friendship and a purpose and a focus. And, and so away I went in that situation. And that experience was so positive to me that that was informative about where my life would go and the kind of things that I would get into. And there was also open doors of opportunity, of ministry, of um, service, and along the way was working out who I was. I was 19 years old, you know, you're not long out of school, and so you're working out what are your gifts, what are your talents, what are your abilities, how are you wired, and it was such a great situation to be planted because I could try things, mm. experiment things, was thrown in the deep end and you worked out whether you could swim in certain <laughs> ways. As much as I always wanted to be the lead vocalist in some kind of band, uh, you, know, you work out you can't sing, but you could also work out whether how you could lead and serve and I found my place. Yeah, and so what would you say are the 
things that you're particularly you know, passionate about and gifted at and the things that really you know, get you up in the morning to continue in ministry? Well, I think, um, you know, it all starts with your own faith and seeing who Jesus is and, and what he's about. You know, I always often think about that passage. It's in John 6 and uh, there's, a, I think it's the, a feeding story and um, Jesus talks about, him being the bread, and and I think it's John six 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 for those of you who get spooked out by that. But anyway, uh, it turns out that you know, many no longer follow Jesus because his teaching was too hard, and and Jesus puts it to the disciples. He says, "Well, what are you going to do?" And, and Peter says, "Well, to whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life." And for me, I when I think about that, it's not you know, oh, you have the words to get me to heaven. No, it's you uh, have the words that make life the way it should be. And and so I guess that's been my experience. So there's that, there's that aspect is that, you know, when Christ is, is Lord and, and you understand what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and you understand the, the Abba Father cry of your heart, um, you get that. Uh, but then it was also is that, God just doesn't call me. He, he brings us together into a community and there's something really wonderful about being in community and not just in terms of care and support and family, but also in terms of ministry and mission that we're better together. And so all those things come together. And as I discovered over the years that I was okay at leading and um, um, being up front and taking charge and uh, serving in that way. So I see myself as being able to take responsibility and bring people together. Um, and so that's why the church to me is so important. And whilst it has its failings and its weaknesses, um, I still think it's an, an incredible thing that God has done and is doing. Right. I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit about church because it's been, you know, a big part of your life, obviously, and the main part of your ministry. And yet the other thing that really fascinates me about you, Brandon, is you've always had this passion to, as well as leading a church, to be involved in, in other ways in the community. So like we mentioned before, you've been the chaplain at Port Adelaide for a long time and you are more recently the president of the Iron Bank Football Club. What is it that drives you to kind of have that outside of the church kind of connection? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a few things. Is I think the way that the way the gospel has um, grabbed me, and maybe not being a a guy that you know uh, went to church each week as a kid or anything like that. So my own conversion, um, my own sense of what God has done for me, um, the call to mission. Um, even though I feel that that just flows out, it's it's not like I'm trying to be evangelistic or be about the work of mission because it's a command. I think it just actually comes out. It's not like I need to be reminded of that. So, out of my own experience, this what you see with transformed lives, and then you know, there's that whole sense that we should be in the world, um, and so that's always been there. I happen to be in a church community where that's the DNA of it. It always has been, um, you know, Sam Thompson, who I've worked with for over 30 years, 
it's the way he is. It's mm. been the heart and soul of Blackwood Hills as long as I know. Um, and we've always been out trying to be out in the community as much as possible. So in terms of the Port Adelaide thing, mm. you know, it was the, the bringing together of my faith and football or my passions. Uh, if there was something that I was raised in, I was raised in a, uh, a sporting home. That yeah. was our religion, sport, specifically the Sturt Football Club, yeah. ironically. And so there's this bringing together of football and faith. Um, I mentioned earlier that when I first was converted in the mail exchange, it was an interactive, highly relational, conversational workplace. So I had to learn to argue and defend my faith. I rarely thought that I was disrespected. I only felt respect. I still believe that generally I'm respected in whatever. I think there's nothing to fear with people. Um, Australians are very respectful, I believe. And so, um, yeah, when opportunities come for chaplaincy at Port Adelaide, um, I stumbled into coaching footy at Iron Bank Cherry Gardens in the HFL. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that story? How did that come about? Well, what, what happened, again, a little bit of the DNA of uh, the church, there was numbers of our young men were playing at Iron Bank. Some of that was motivated by, oh, I, I need to hang out with more um, unchurched people, so I'll play footy and get involved. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what happened is Zion Bank uh, needed a new C-grade coach. And uh, so basically the guys from church who played at Iron Bank lobbied Iron Bank and said, oh, we'll, we'll try and get our pastor to coach <laughs> the Cs. And they were kind of like, I think, ambivalent but open enough because sometimes they're desperate. <laughs> anyway, they just there was a campaign that they'd obviously worked behind the scenes to have me uh, be the coach. They just called me coach for months and months yeah. at church. <laughs> and uh, and eventually I said, okay, I'll talk to Iron Bank. And anyway, I got the C-grade coaching job. Well, from then, then I stumbled into the be the B-grade coach for three years. And then that ended, and then they asked me to be the president. So it was all, I can only say it's a God thing. Yeah. And, uh, and there I am again in the local community. And so it's wonderful when... What I do do in my, as a pastor, is bring people together around the gospel. Now, in that, that situation, I'm bringing people together around footy. Um, and to tell you the truth, I just love it. <laughs> so uh, I'm at Port Adelaide, I'm an iron bank, and then here I am trying to be salt and light in both places. And it's very exciting. It also keeps me fresh because yeah. I also don't want to be just in the church um all the time so suits me just right yeah it does i so you see how much you enjoy it so what do you um what do you think you're learning and, and seeing and hearing from being in those two spaces being in the church and then you know connecting in the community wider well i i think i think you know being in the wider community i you know is australians we're affluent we have everything that we need um we don't stare deaf in the face or uh, day by day or we're not, you know, where's my next meal coming from? So there's not a desperation. So, you know, we all talk about how Australians are, you know, a bit ambivalent about faith and there's all kinds of studies and surveys. But at the same time, I also think that whilst, you know, in the media, the church and 
churches or pastors or priests or whatever sometimes get singled out for attack. Still, my experience is that we're still generally and mostly respected if you are known face-to-face by people. And sometimes people are looking for leadership and vision. They're looking for empathy and care. And so if you come good-natured, good-hearted, warm, servant-like, helpful, I think there's open doors. Mm. And that's what I experience. I think that's we experience when we go with the right motive and the right idea and in the right way. And so whilst um, both roles are quite different, you know, at chaplaincy is much different um, than maybe what I'm doing at Iron Bank. Um, in chaplaincy, you often feel that you're at the bottom of the food chain, and you are. Um, but when things go really badly wrong, uh, leaders in those sector environments are looking for leadership. Yeah. So there's times when you go from being the fringe-dwelling bottom feeder to being the leader because you can bring something in a crisis when people are upset and tragic and trauma happens, tragedy and trauma happens. Um, but also sometimes people are looking for leadership um, with integrity and positivity and also understand community and how people should treat each other. So I think that's part of the thing around the Iron Bank thing is I bring leadership, vision, community and ensuring that we treat each other with respect. And I think the kind of message that I am bringing at Iron Bank in community sport is that this is more than football and that we're about people and people want to feel part of something. And so in my view, in our individualistic society, there's the church brings people together, it's sporting clubs bring people together, there are primary schools bring people together and then it's really a bit thin on the edges. You know, there are other community groups and other things, but community is a weak point in our society, so people are looking for connection, and there are a few opportunities, and one of those is a sporting club, so why not be as much as possible at the centre of it? Yeah, no, that's great. You mentioned uh, those moments when people are looking for leadership, whether it's out of trauma and tragedy mm. or whether it's something good. It's mm. a couple of stories, maybe a couple of, high-profile events that have happened for you over the years. Is it something you share about? Yeah, yeah. What that's been, what, what's it like to be in that space in yeah, those moments? Yeah, so Port, Port Adelaide, um, in fact, in South Australia, at our elite level, you know, at Port Adelaide and the Adelaide Crows and the Redbacks, some of the biggest tragedies in the last mm. 15 years have happened in Adelaide. Um, and so... Um, there was the death of John McCarthy, a Port Adelaide player who died on an uh, end-of-season trip. Phil Walsh, of course, who died, um, who was a life member at Port Adelaide, but senior coach at the Crows. Um, and then Dean Bailey also passed away. He was a coach at the Crows at the time. And then, of course, Philip Hughes died, the mm-hmm. cricketer for the Redbacks. So um, in each of those situations, we've actually had a chaplain in those situations. So. Um, and and in two of those, you know, um, I found myself front and center. So 
the trauma and the tragedy happens and because you've been hanging around yeah. and whilst you might be at the bottom of the food chain and often feeling that you're irrelevant and ignored, when things all go bad, um, the football club was looking for some leadership. So, And I was prepared to be yeah. the guy who would stand front and centre in the tragedy. No one else really wants to deal <laughs> with that. Yeah. So you step forward and so both at the John McCarthy um, death, I ended up doing leading the memorial at Albert and Oval in front of two and a half thousand people, including a live cross to the actual funeral in Sorrento. It was like a TV production. And then of course Phil Walsh, who was also a personal friend of mine, um, I also was able to speak as one of the eulogies at his memorial. So um yeah, there's been some really sad things, but because you've been hanging around, as I say, uh um being there and being in the way without getting in the way, yeah. uh, then when things go bad, you can have an opportunity to show leadership and care and support, bring some, provide some hope um, in those situations. So that's that's been a privilege for me, despite the trauma of that for myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean... I think I hear pastors often say about the privilege of being there in those moments mm. um, for people in their church, you know, that yes. you, you have this community as a church and so when people suffer, when someone dies, you know, it's the privilege of the pastor. But to have that in these community, wider community opportunities where people are really looking for it and, yes. and no one wants to step up is yes. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What about on the, um, maybe on the, the, the other side, at the community level, things that aren't high profile, any stories of opportunities that that's brought about just to, you know, to, to be there and make a difference in people's lives? Yeah, well, we, back, back to the, the, the thinking is that, um, as I said, which has been part of the culture or the DNA in our particular church community, it's always been something that we're about. And so if you go back to the late, 90s this thought popped into my head that if our church closed would the wider community know or right. care and um would, would just be the demise of the congregation and no one noticed and I, I think back in the late 90s there would have been a sense of oh there's this great youth youth group what, what a shame that that's come to an end so that that was in my thinking and and so I think, though, today uh, that if we, we did close down, if Blackwood Hills closed down, if there was a messenger newspaper that came into the letterbox, uh, that we might make the front page um, because of our contribution and involvement in the community. So what makes Blackwood Hills different is not the great music or the great preacher or anything else in that sense what, what what makes us unique i think is our connection in the wider community so we pride ourselves on not only events in the community that are high profile and making sure that we're involved in them or running them or at the center of them but also making sure that we're in our schools and that our facility is a hub a community hub for the wider community so you know we run the only outdoor carols in the area and it's large we lead the parade each year in blackwood um, we're involved in numerous 
numbers of our local schools in Chaplaincy, but also running Kids Hope programs. Um, we also um, a very busy facility. So about 1,500 people come through the building each week, and that's not for worship. Uh, that's for the cafe. We run a five-day-a-week lunch cafe. We uh, have table tennis and craft groups and play groups, and the place is absolutely flat out. So, um, And then we also try and work really hard at relationships with the local representative. So... You know, I'd like to think that I'm on a first-name basis with the local member, with the federal member, and the mayor. And so we we want to be um, connected. And it is interesting that sometimes when um, the wider leadership of the community wants to do something, I often have been asked, what do I think or what yeah. we can do? And that still happens to this day. That's really great. Yeah. I was going to ask you, because obviously in your story you talk about you know, sport is, is kind of a thing for you, your passion, you grew up with it. Um, and some people that's, you know, that's their world and other people are like, well, I could never be at a footy club. That's not no, my thing. No. Can you can you tell us some stories of other people in your church and how you see people living that out in practice in, you know, maybe ways that are you, you look at them and go, I would never do that because that's not, you know, that's not my passion, but how people are using their their passions, their experiences to connect. Yeah. So we, we I guess it's something that I guess in one sense, whether I'm a, a, an example or not, but um, I guess we've always encouraged people that we don't want people to come out of their backgrounds or what they're passionate about to realise that they are, God's got a hold of them in Christ, but they still as much as possible interact and so then how they use their passions in that way. So we don't want people to come out of community groups or to give up their passions, but then how do we um, use those in other situations? So whether that's through sports or particular interests, um, you know, people might be into, you know, younger people might be into gaming or they're into a certain kind of games that they yeah, do. interact does that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So there's, you just think they're weird. Yeah, that's right. There's no way I'm gaming, right? Or um, there's other things that people do, and they they're using their their gifts and talents. You know, yeah. the, the the you know example that quickly pops into my mind is my great colleague Sam Thompson. He loves to um, rid Australia of its feral animals <laughs> yes. via certain means, and let's put it this way: he breeds many dogs and loves to run through the bush, but. There are a lot of young people who want to run through the bush. And so what he does is he takes people with him on those things and then over a campfire shares the gospel. So, you know, he's an example to us all about these are my interests. His interests are not my interests. Let me tell you, I couldn't care less about feral animals um, or doing what he does. And yet whilst we're as close as we are, that is not my interest, and I've not been with him running through the bush with dogs. But um, he does that, and he uses that. And so people should be using their passions yeah. and their interests, and they can. And so people should be free, free to feel free that they can be light and salt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so good. 
So tell me, Brandon, what what have you seen as the unique challenges um, and also maybe opportunities of this, this this season that we find ourselves in at the moment where we are now? I have found that the last two years have been exhausting. Mm. Um, uh, more, you know, more on that mental thing is that whilst I've always been a news hound, I love news. Um, I was probably an ABC news listener way too young, um, but news has become work. And concentrating on what's happening has has been exhausting, and um, because what's been required the last few years is vigilance, mm-hmm. and particularly in 2020, you know, there's been some hiccups and stuff in 2021. But so it's, you know, I, I know I've spoken to pastors and others. There, it, it's mm-hmm. been a wearing time, constantly communicating with your people. The rules change. Is this that way? And I just want to say thanks to the, um, to the denomination for their work um, in lobbying and communicating and the emails that come out to give clarity because premiers and chief medical officers and police commissioners make announcements but don't give any detail yeah. and then their websites don't follow like they say. But that's another whole statement. So it's, it is being very wearisome um, and I also think that things now are actually going to become more tricky. I, I, I'm, I've been talking with the congregation for a long time that the day of reckoning is coming and it's going to come soon. And I think the next three to six months are going to be quite difficult. Yeah. We're going to have some curveballs. There's going to be some stuff that's going to be quite challenging as we live with COVID. Um, I've been thinking a lot, Melinda, recently in terms of 2021, uh, reflecting on it theologically. Yeah. Because um, I've felt that 2021's been the now and not yet year. It's uh, it's been betwixt and between. It's yeah. like um, 2021. It's it's had that sense of Narnia. It's all you know. It's, it's always winter and never Christmas. And yeah. and so there's the now and the not yet. And so we're just waiting, waiting. Now we know that there's a not yet coming now because there was an announcement just in recent days. But um. Yeah, so there is that now and not yet feeling that we've had in 2021. I don't really know what 2022 and yeah. beyond is going to mean for us, but I know that it won't be smooth. And, um, you know, because we've had it in some senses so good, I'm expecting to see ripples of fear and concern and to come. And I really don't know what the opportunities are. I think the pandemic's forced us to thrust ourselves quickly into the modern world and the online world, which, of course, has lots of negatives about it, and there's lots about it I don't like about YouTube and Facebook, but um, that's where we're at. Um, So I don't actually have any prophetic thought, (laughs) but I know it's still going to be tricky for a while. Yeah. So how have you found leading? Like, what have you learned? Like, what have you done, and what have you learned about leading through this season of kind of uncertainty and constant change and exhaustion? Yeah, I feel that in twenty twenty, I had to be really present and upfront mm-hmm. and communicate a lot and take a lot of responsibility. This year, I've felt that I can back off. Um, yeah, twenty twenty had a lot of anxiety because of all the unknowns and the fear factor. So you're trying to be that non-anxious presence. Um, 
So again, you know, I think it's always often in leadership about having a calm head and not panicking and taking each day as it comes. And so, you know, there's that whole sense back to the now and not yet. You know, we're living about today and we've got to live today um, and not over speculate. But there is that eye on the future. Um, and so you've got to hold those things in tension. And that does create an angst. But that's what we have to live with it. We let, need to live with now and not yet. And, you know, that's at that macro biblical New Testament theological mm -hmm. level, but also as we deal in a pandemic. You know, I've had to pinch myself a lot the last two years. I yeah. can't believe I'm living in a pandemic. I grow up in a world of antibiotics and vaccinations. Mm -hmm. I've lived in this first privileged world. I really haven't seen death and disease and then to be QR coding in and wearing a mask and doing all that we do is has been it's i still i still can't quite believe it but anyway yeah. it's, I, was, I was actually just talking something about the other day that um like kids growing up today will always know that that could be a possibility and will think that that's normal but yes. you know us adults we, we no. have no clue that the world could be like this no no i know and you know i wasn't i didn't live through world wars there's obviously been wars in my lifetime but essentially you know as a teenager there was the threat of the cold war and nuclear arms and stuff but generally it's been a pretty safe world that i have lived in so the last two years has been quite a jolt for the system so where do you see that kind of connecting back to the gospel and the role of the church yeah well you know one one is initially if the thing got really bad and horrible you know the church might have been doing something different if mm -hmm. if it, if it literally was the spanish flu and there were millions dying yeah uh but it turned didn't turn out quite like that um i think it still is about us um holding in balance what it means to be a good citizen um to being people of empathy and compassion um but also having a sense of uh inner peace about whatever is ahead and so i think what's important is our character um what we're about what we speak for um is really important at this point in time and if things get particularly bad that how what we can do in a at a practical level uh, may come to the fore great to reflect on this brandon and, and as we said before you have You've been in ministry for a long time. Yeah? Mm. How do you look back? How do you reflect on that? Yeah, well, I, I do do that a fair bit. I turned 55 in January. So um, maybe, you know, you turn 50 and you start to reflect back more. And then you, you know, I've always felt that I was a kid, yeah. you know. Um, so I was, you know, the young kid at, when I went to Bible college. And then, you know, I was always younger. I'm still younger than our youth pastor. So I've always just felt <laughs> the kid, yeah. even in yeah. my church, in the leadership board, I was the kid, you know? Yeah. Still feel that way. And, but then I've worked out, oh, actually, I'm getting along on the tooth now. And certainly I look in the mirror and that's the case. But there's a few things that come to mind. One is it's been a really unique journey for me to have had the conversion, the role into the church that I did 
to go to Bible college fairly quickly and to stay in that whole community and still to work with a guy um, for over 30 years who's he's 68 going on 15. He's still the, the oldest kid in our church. So that's been good. I've had great lay leadership in my church. Um, my wife has kept me for 31 years. Um, I've been at Port Adelaide for 25. Um, so there's lots about it where I feel, whether it is unique or not, it feels unique mm-hmm. because I've only ever known one church community. Yeah. Um, and they've accepted me all this time. So that, it's been unique. I, I have this overwhelming sense of gratitude that I was given the opportunity that I am still um, feel accepted and loved and, and respected in what I do. So I, I do have a great sense of gratitude for being in the role and playing the part that I've played in not just the church but obviously in other community situations. But at the same time that whilst there's been a lot of great wins, mm. uh, and this is connected to my uniqueness, is that I do also have this this sense of disappointment. So let me explain yeah, a bit further. So here you go. Um, because of the uniqueness, I've been in the one, only one church community for 36 years. Yeah. And 30 of those years on staff and 28 of those full time. And so I had this interesting window of the people who have come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. And so whilst, you know, at some levels, Blackwood Hills has been a growing church. It's got great reach into its community. There's a lot of great things that have happened and happened. I do at times have this overwhelming disappointment about people who have not gone on. Mm. Um, I find going to weddings really hard because it might be a wedding of someone who's in your community, but then there's all the people that are no longer in your community. And they're not in some other church. They're nowhere. And so I it's it's a unique view that I've had because I can go back 36 years of people who have not gone on. Now, does that make me less confident about the gospel? Am I upset with God? Am I angry with them? No, none of those things. It's just the it's truth and it's an observation. And theologically and biblically, I can even give an argument that not everyone's going to go on or they're going to stray for a period of time and who knows what happens at the end of all things. But I have seen so many raised, so many grow, and um, and often it's very discouraging. Uh, people in their 20s, they drift off and, and they're never seen again other than when I turn up to a wedding. And you'll see them there because they still actually may be connected to their mm-hmm. old friendship group but they are no longer in worship. They're not using their gifts and talents. So the, the, the disappointments about the amount of gifts and talents and, mm-hmm. and abilities and life experiences and 
these people that could really be making a massive difference and the people then who shipwrecked their own lives. I think that you are inhuman if you are not disappointed. You're not disappointed with them. You're not disappointed in them. You're just disappointed because so many people have not gone on. They have got waylaid by the wide road and they've not stayed the narrow path. And so, you know, I imagine that if you've been in it as long as me for 30 years and in the old days you did, you know, your itinerant pastoring where you did three years here, three years <laughs> here, three years here, you don't necessarily have the vision that I have of watching in one community for 36 years, people not gone on. So that, that's that's disappointing. I, I've heard it said that you, you shouldn't write a book before you're 50. Right. So I'm turning 55, and I don't think I'm about to write a book. <laughs> I reckon if I was writing a book about how to be successful in ministry, I've got three paragraphs, but I reckon I've got a whole book about disappointment. <laughs> I yeah. could do a whole book about the disappointment of ministry. So, yeah, um, yeah that's that's yeah. that's a great that's sentence. A yeah, yeah. It, I think it takes me back to something you said earlier about the church, though, that we're better together. And so that it sounds to me like that disappointment is that we're, we're missing the people who would make us better together. You know, oh. we miss, like you say, we're missing their gifts and the, the impact they could be making in the community. Um, so it's it's a it's a wonderful truth that leads to that disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, you know, I often think if everyone stayed or more of us stayed, you know, how many would we have or what else could we be doing or, but that's the reality. And as I said, I'm in, in one sense, biblically, I shouldn't be surprised, yeah. um, but it still doesn't mean that you just, that that doesn't affect you in some sure. kind of emotional, deep way. And so, the older I've got, the more I see it, and there are reminders. And you go, you know, it, it, it's hard work, and not everyone goes on. And um, with the best of intentions, you can preach your heart out, you can pray your heart out, but that's the way it is. So then, how do you keep going, and how have you been in? You know, both. How do you have such longevity in ministry despite that disappointment? And even, you know, how do you keep going on with Jesus? Yeah, well. What keeps you going? I think I think there's that you know where it all begins. So you've got that that all begins, but that's not enough, you know. Um, so what happens to me in 1986, but it still lives on today. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be fresh, and I don't necessarily feel that's always about my efforts. Um, there's some decisions and some habits that I form in my life. You know, like one of the things, and for those pastors who are listening, for the last, at least the last 17 years, I've decided that when I go to church, I'm a worshiper first. I just happen to be the pastor. Yeah. But I think for many years, I went to church as a pastor. Right. But I no longer go as the pastor. I roll up as a worshiper first. And then oh, when it's my time to do that, well, I'll get up and do that. But that's not what's in my mind. So I deliberately sit. I sit forward, actually. It's it's hiding in plain sight. And people say, why do you sit at the front? Well, then no one was going to come and speak to me there, so I'm hidden in plain sight. But the other thing is then I don't look back at who's here and who's not here or what should be happening or 
if things go problem technically, well, so be it. I'm not going to solve this problem. I'm a worshipper. So, you know, obviously there's the stuff around scripture and prayer, but also about making sure that you're well connected. So you've got um, people who are mentors, people who are genuine friends in your life where you have sincere relationships, and then also then making sure that you self-care. So um, I do. I have said this to other pastors, the, the longer you're in it, it's less about what you do but who you are. And so that's sometimes when, and I'm a task-oriented person. I'm very task-oriented. But I often remind myself it's not about what I do, it's about who I am. So ensure that you are looking after yourself. No one wants a grumpy, intolerant, impatient, irritable leader. And so, you know, I make sure I take the time to look after my body, my mental health. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I drive across the country. I drive through the desert. I go as far away as I possibly can so I don't bump into somebody in the supermarket or a petrol station or in a cafe. I want to be completely anonymous. Um, I want to be nowhere for at least a month each year. Um, I chase the sun. Um, and so I can have a break. I go to places now and I find out this phone reception and I'm angry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's those things, those making sure that you're looking after your health, you're exercising, you, you've got a, a spiritual devotional life, you actually are taking holidays and not one week here and one week there, a chunk. So all those things are really important to me. I think that's part of my longevity. And then I've just been back to the gratitude thing is that I've had great lay leadership that's been stable, secure, in my corner. I've got great staff. All of our staff are homegrown. And, and also it's been just a great privilege to work with Sam Thompson. Now, Sam Thompson, I've been his boss now. For 25 years, but he's still my spiritual hero. And um, I don't always understand him. Some of his interests aren't mine. He's 15 years old in so many ways, but it's it's great. And I hope he never retires. <laughs> if you're listening fantastic. to this, Sam. Yeah, shout outs to Sam. We love you. <laughs> and can I say, Brandon, I hope as, and I trust as long, alongside the disappointments that there's a real encouragement that the church at Blackwood Hills and you personally have actually uh, mentored and raised up and sent out so many people over the years. I could tell lots of stories, but I am one of them. You were, you were my supervisor when I was doing my training, um, you know, for ordination and my mentor and colleague. And, um, yeah, and there are many other stories of people that um, have benefited from the ministry of that church and carry that DNA out into other local churches and yes. all around the world. Yes, no doubt about that. And and that, that that's true. So there's those things I said earlier. I don't want to deny any of that. No, no. that that's still, that is true. And it, it's been a wonderful blessing and that hence the, the gratitude that I feel every day. Excellent. Well, we're grateful for you and your ministry and the ministry of your church and grateful for the time you've given us today just to give us a little bit of a window into that. Been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, 
then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Season two of The Movement is hosted and produced by the team at Baptist Churches of SA. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest.